3: Join us for a journey, as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin and how did they end? Let's find out on episode 45, Assyria versus Urartu. Previously on Fan of History, the Neo-Assyrian Empire entered the interval, a dark period of decline. Agishti became king of Urartu and expanded the kingdom. Or to had taken a serious position as the major power of the Near East. Hello, Dan.
2: Hello, Anna. So, where's Brennan?
3: I don't know, really. He went to a cold place, I think.
2: Yes, he's off to Alaska this week. So. Uh, I had to find a replacement and if you are uh, a true fan of fan of history you remember Anna from the Hapshetsut video on the youtube channel if you're not subscribing to the youtube channel you should be doing that Uh, search for fan of history on youtube okay this time we are going to talk about the 770s bc this is our first episode in the 770s bc and I know we promised a great sporting event, but that will have to wait until next episode uh, because Brennan is gone. So we are going to cover this, then next week it's the sporting events, and the week after that the Western Joe will fall. But that is in two episodes, and now it's Assyria versus Urartu. So, Argishti is the great king of Urartu. And in the last episode, he built Yerevan, the capital of modern Armenia. That was in 782 BC. We have this guy's annals. We have his record of his glorious reign. And though we may not believe all of it, it's still more than we have from most cultures. It's actually recorded in typical Assyrian fashion. And Urartu is now the strongest state in the Near East. And now they're going to clash! Okay, so the situation is Assyria is on the Mesopotamian Plain Urartu is in the mountains There is a common border Uh, The border is protected by Urartian fortresses because they know that even if they have grown very powerful they can't really take the Assyrians in a fair fight so better hide in the mountains and direct aggression otherwise. But in somewhere around this year, they actually do clash. We don't know very much about it because the Assyrians don't record uh, losses. So if, if they lose something, they just uh, don't talk about it. And uh, of course, they, there is a record. From shamshi himself, the field marshal, remember the king of Assyria is not very influential now. The armies are ruled by shamshi and shamshi uh, definitely controls the northern border from his fortress of Kar-Shalmaneser. And he says that, wow, he defeated the Urartians. It was a crushing defeat. But if we look in the Chronicles of Argisti. Uh, he is victorious in every campaign, too, and the sources are poor for this era. Uh, we know that 17, 779 BC is the epinome year of Marduk Remani, the chief butler of Assyria. Can you imagine what that position <laughs> included?
3: I have no idea.
2: Oh, I I, I just listened to a lot of Fan of History episodes, and I realize I repeat myself a lot. So if you feel uh, that is worth complaining about, please complain about it. Maybe it's a good way of learning. So I know I said this before, but now I'm going to say it to you, and I haven't done that before. The Epinom Chronicle is a yearly record of where the Assyrians went to war, and it's very, very short for every year. So... They say basically in the year of 779 BC, it was the eponym year of Marduk Remani, the chief butler. So they name one influential guy in Assyria. And it's a great honor. It's like being the consul of Rome to get named in the eponym, uh, in the eponym chronicle. And then they say, we fought against these guys. I have no idea how the chief butler got on the Epinem Chronicle because he was the most important person who hadn't been in the Epinem Chronicle yet in the whole country. That's interesting. Uh, So we have little. um, So we have taken a few quotes from these, these wars then between Urartu and Assyria. The little we know. So, Anna is going to read the Argishti quotes over Artu, and I'm going to be Shamshi Ilu in my best Mesopotamian voice.
3: I took many prisoners in Mana and Bushtu in 780 and 779.
2: I captured Argishti's camp.
3: I went as far as the mountain of Assyria in 778.
2: I invaded the Kuti.
3: I invaded Mana in 776 and 775.
2: So, not very easy to make a story that includes all of these statements. But the Kuti is a region of the uh, the Manai to the southeast of Lake Urmia. We talked about the Manians before. Their their region is called Mana, so that was what we talked about there. it, It seems that mana was a skirmishing ground that was like the easiest way to get around the border mountains and actually find the chance to fight because they are uh, fighting the manians around lake ermian there might have been a very decisive battle in 774 bc but we are gonna save that for a later episode and now we're gonna look into the army of urartu Because we did a whole episode on the Assyrian army before 745 BC, when the world changes! And that is yet uh, 35 years away. So we don't know a lot about what the Urartian army was like, but it seems to have been modeled on the Assyrian army. Like a lot of stuff in Urartudeus took the Assyrian model because they saw it working. So there is infantry cavalry and chariotry. They do have iron weapons. This area they control was part of the Hittite Empire so iron has been worked here for a long time. They fight mainly with spears and bows and possibly swords. We remember that the Assyrians very seldom fought with their swords. Swords were honorary stuff that you carried around and executed people with. So you mainly fought with your spear and your bow we have some statistics you want to read them
3: yes i can when Ichpun and minua invades meshti it is 106 chariots 9174 cavalry 2704 infantry and against Lusha and cartarsia Kart- Kartars- it's 66 chariots 460 riders and 15,760 infantry.
2: I don't know what Mesh Lusha and Katarsa are. They might be these random northern kingdoms that the Orachians and the Assyrians just name. And you you get the feeling that they're making these places up. Like we beat some robbers and uh, we call them the kingdom of something... We can note that there was a lot of cavalry in the first one. We had 9,174 cavalry and like 3,000 infantry. And then we had a more realistic composition in the second attack with 15,000 infantry formed 60 riders. These figures could be true. It seems if the Assyrian royal army normally numbered 50,000 guys, I could see an an Urartian army being around 16,000. That could make sense. We have some record from an attack on the west from Agishti in 780 BC. If you go west from Urartu, you end up in uh, Turkey. What is today Turkey? The Turks are nowhere near Turkey at this time. and um, There is a small kingdom called Milid that was involved here. And we see Urartian influence spreading into Syria from the mountains to the north. So first Urartian influence spreads into the mountains, straight west from Urartu, and then south into Syria. And maybe this is the time that Urartu gets the idea to put together an anti-Assyrian alliance in the New Hittite states of the Turkish mountains and of northern Syria. And this anti-Assyrian alliance will be something we'll talk a lot more but now we're gonna move all over uh, all of the continent into Ooh. China! the Zhou dynasty is still ruling China they have been around since the 11th century and in 780 BC there is a major earthquake in China and the city of Guanzong is hit by this earthquake and there is a soothsayer named Bu Yangfu Who considers this earthquake an omen foretelling the destruction of the Zhou dynasty. So that doesn't sound very good. No, it doesn't. Uh, We'll uh, jump back. We'll stay in 780 BC and jump back to Babylonia. Mm -hmm. The kingdom in southern Iraq today. On the fertile plains of southern Mesopotamia. Babylonia has been in a miserable state since an Assyrian king in the eight tens decided that his major duty was to just crush Babylon every year but now here are the first signs of recovery when Marduk apla uzur becomes the first Chaldean king of Babylon the Chaldeans we talked about them a lot they are in uh, the south of Babylonia, in the marches, in the sea-land and they have been opposing Assyrian aggression forever ever since they got there, they have been the enemies of the Assyrians there are three major Chaldean tribes and the Bit-Yakin will soon take control of the kingship but this guy, Marduk-Aplasur, is from one of the other two tribes and we don't know a whole lot about him We have one, one single thing recorded from his entire reign, and it will last until 769 BC. And the quote just says, forced labor and corvi was imposed. And Corvi is uh, slavery.
3: Is that the only record from his reign? Yes,
2: and it's a lot better than his like seven predecessors, of which we don't know the name of four. And we know partially the name of one. So nobody wanted to be the king of Babylonia for a while there because the Assyrians were attacking every year. And they focused their attack on whoever said he was the king. Wow. So times are still tough for Babylonia, but this is the first sign of recovery. And also one of the first signs of the Chaldean rise to power because the Chaldeans will will become very powerful in Babylonia. Back to China. King of China is King Yu. And he makes... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. a really bad decision in 779 B.C.
3: Oh.
2: Yes. Um, what's the best reason for making a bad decision?
3: Oh, oh I get it. You fall in love.
2: Yes. He f- gets a new concubine, Bao Si, And oh. he is too much in love with this girl. You you are supposed to have concubines as the, the Joe King, but you're not supposed to feel anything for them. But he feels quite a bit for Bao Si. They have a son called Bufu And then uh, the king starts to wonder why do I have a queen and a crown prince when I have this wonderful concubine So he, uh, he sacks his queen Whoa! He tells her you are not the queen anymore So Queen Shen and crown prince Jiju, they get fired from their positions and it's unclear if the if the so if the Joe King had this authority, but he's the king, so he can do whatever he wants. So he sets Bao Si as the queen and Bufu, the new son, there he is now the crown prince. And Queen Shen has to return to her state, conveniently named Shen, in <laughs> disgrace. And the Shen uh, the Shen Kingdom, which is uh, subservient to the Joe Kingdom is ruled by the Marquis of Shen and he is not amused. He thought he had things figured out. This woman from his family was uh, the queen of the whole kingdom and now she's fired, so he's not happy.
3: Such a bad decision.
2: Yeah, so now King Yu thinks, oh now I can enjoy love when my beloved is the queen and he just wants to make Bao Si happy and she was quite entertained by this, by the fact that the old queen was fired, but now she is becoming bored Oh. and King Yu doesn't know what to do to entertain her.
3: Well, he should have thought about that before he sacked his old queen.
2: Yeah, he probably should. He should probably just have kept Bao Si as the concubine. Yeah... But that's all we have from China this episode. We will return there in the third episode of the 770s BC. That's episode 47. Now we have to do what we love to do. We have to go back to Assyria. Yay! So 778 BC is the eponymy of... You want to read the name?
3: Belkaran Beliusura.
2: Perfect. He's the palace herald. And uh, this is a powerful position in the palace and it seems that his eponymy is a, a symptom of how powerful nobles are getting unproportional amounts of influence in Assyria. And it's not weird that he's the eponym, that there's, there are always noblemen as the eponym, but he will build his own city in Assyria and that's not something noblemen should do.
3: That's a clear warning sign that this guy has too much power.
2: Yes, he builds a city named after himself. It's Durbelkarambeliusur. That's just say that name quickly times. Uh, don't say that name quickly. Times. <laughs> and it seems to have been a free city where the Assyrian king had no influence, but this guy had all the power. He was like the king of his own city. We, the the archaeologists, have also found the stele. Raised by this man, it's found at Tel Abta, and there is a royal inscription that the name of the king appears after the name of Belkaran-Beli-Usur.
3: So technically, Dur-Belkaran-Beli-Usur was the king.
2: Yeah, that was his city. He was belkaran bel usur
3: Yes, belkaran Bel.
2: He was the king of his own city in the middle of Assyria. And all of this is going on while Shamshi-Ilu still controls the royal Assyrian army. So Assyria is... Uh, we don't recognize this is not the kingdom of Shalmaneser III or Ashurnasirpal II. The king seems to be weak and have no control. Uh, in the next year the king uh, claims that he actually did something. So we can read in the eponym year of Nabu-Isdeya-Kain, the chamberlain, that King Shalmaneser actually fights somebody. He fights the Itua. Oh. And this campaign might actually have been led by the king because Shamshi-ilu seems to have been busy with the Oratian border, as we discussed before. The Itua is an Aramean tribe, and it's very unclear where they lived. They might have been revolting within the Assyrian Empire. Because most Armenian tribes are now within the empire. In 776 BC, Argishti builds a fortress. And in good Mesopotamian fashion, he names it after himself. It's called Argishti-Kinihili. I bet I get that, get that pronunciation wrong. <laughs> but after the success of building Erebuni, that was Yerevan, the capital of modern Armenia. Argishti builds this uh, second place. And it's, uh, it means basically Fortress Argishti. This is located near modern Armavir Blur on the middle Araxis River in the land of Asa. This is quite close to Yerevan. And the idea is to control the rich metalworking area of Metsamor. There was a network of canals built. And you can still see traces of these canals today. So there's a lot of stuff going on in Urartu in the 770s BC. It seems that Agishti built a series of small bases in the Aras River Valley. And this must have been to protect his northern border. To protect to be able to exert control over the northern kingdoms slash tribes. He built a second Argishti a second Argishti <laughs> uh, on Lake Van. But strangely enough, he makes no mention of this. We find this second Argishti in the Assyrian record in the 710s BC. When King Sargon goes to Urartu... But that is for a later episode. So that was the conflict between Assyria and Urartu. Things pretty much remain the same. as uh, Urartu is building up. Assyria is declining. And who can put a stop to this? I don't know. Well it will happen in 745 BC when the greatest Assyrian king that ever lived will take the throne. And change everything. But we have a couple of episodes to go until then.
3: Yes, we have.
2: In the next episode, we will talk about sports. So next time, it's the Olympics. Currently going on in Rio, actually, when we record this. Um, We should um, talk a bit about you, Anna. I'm happy that you're here (laughs) and helping me out with this.
3: Thank you. It's so nice to be here again. I really love this podcast and the Fan of History YouTube channel. It's so nice to be here and make a visit again.
2: Thank you. I might use you as my uh, replacement Brennan later as well.
3: <laughs> if Brennan ever goes to Alaska again, so I can, I'd can i be more than happy to jump in.
2: We, Anna and I do uh, another podcast together, but it's yes, in do. Swedish. Do you want to explain what it's about?
3: Yes, it's a podcast that covers a series of books called The Ice People Saga. Uh, the Ice People Saga has actually been translated to Eng- English now. So if you are interested, you can go and pick it up on the bookstores. The first it's... book
2: is named Spellbound.
3: Exactly. It's
2: 47 books.
3: 47 books. And me and Dan are doing one podcast episode of each of the books. So now we have worked to we have worked halfway there i think and our yeah, we're doing do,
2: 26 next week
3: yes and our plan is to do all 47 books cover them each and every one of them and perhaps do something more about because the ice people saga is written by an amazing author named margit Sandemo from norway and sweden and the ice people saga covers around thousand years of uh, uh A family's tale And it's lots of uh, witchcraft And history And of course family history So it's really really interesting
2: I'm actually quite impressed by this saga Because it's 10,000 pages Of the same story uh, Covering this entire period So if you are Scandinavian Norwegian, Danish or Swedish You can listen to that podcast It's Sagan om Isfolket podden Yes so, where else can people find you, Anna? Uh,
3: I have a blog, but it's in Swedish, of course, and it's tsunaseras.blogspot.se, and there I write a lot about everything that's going on in my life. And I'm also a huge Twitter addict, so I'm on Twitter every day, and that's and uh, my name there is Anna Seras. I tweet mostly in Swedish, but also sometimes in English, and I have a Facebook page. Uh, where I post mostly in Swedish, but also kind of a lot of links on English. And that is called Setsuna Fera.
2: We have a couple of ideas for fan of history videos for the YouTube channel.
3: Oh, yes, we have.
2: Should we uh, perhaps tease them? So then people can tweet you and um, try to make you do them.
3: Yeah, that would be nice. My uh, favorite part of the history, as you perhaps could have guessed when I was a guest at on the hat episode is ancient Egypt so uh, I have a couple of ideas that I really would like to do and Don has really said you have to do this but problem is I'm running out of time so if you want something about ancient Egypt perhaps around the time Ramses the the first, the second and the third
2: New Kingdom stuff
3: exactly so give me a tweet
2: so I know you know a lot more about Egyptian history than I do uh, but do you understand anything of what's going on in Egypt in like the 9th and 8th century BC
3: no not so much actually
2: <laughs> nobody <laughs> does I'm no. so confused by Egypt
3: <laughs> but it's so early and I mean they did they, there was chaos there
2: it's extremely late right for Egypt
3: yeah but you know not all, all the
2: good things have already happened and now only bad things are happening to the poor yeah. Egyptians
3: but it's still a bit of chaos
2: Definitely. <laughs> I should plug the fanofhistorywordpress.com, our website, mostly containing the scripts from Timeline of World History, which is another YouTube series I do with Shane Sowersby, covering all of world history from 200,000 BC. If you like Fan of History, the videos, the stuff we do, please become a patron at patreon.com Fanohistory. Uh, There is, we really need some more uh, patrons to go further than 701 BC or otherwise we'll have to find another subject or do something else because 701 BC is the great destruction of Sennacherib and we will cover that, but we want to cover the 7th century BC as well with the fall of the Empire and all that good stuff You can find me on Twitter at Dan Horning And you can find Fan of History on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash History. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for joining me, Anna.
3: Yes, thank you so much for being invited.
2: Speak to you later.
0: Yes, bye-bye. Hold up, what was that?